that I read that with approximately one pound of iron, a simple rod of iron can be fashioned to be used to stake down heavy planks or for uh, similar tasks, uh, a rod of iron can be used. An iron, I was looking at, at Lowe's this weekend, and you know, anywhere from $1.99, maybe 3 or $4 for a pound of iron, different rods, uh, that you can purchase those things. Now, here's what's interesting. If this same amount of iron is fashioned, let's say, as a horseshoe, the value goes up from a few bucks of just raw material to maybe $15, $20, whatever uh, horseshoes are going these days, all right? Um, you could do that. Um, if this much of iron, a pound of iron, uh, was, was formed and fashioned into, say, like sewing needles, the value that comes out of that pound of iron goes up hundreds of dollars depending on the, the, the type of sewing needles that are made. It's, it's, it, it, the value increases. Uh, if the rod of iron, let's say it was placed into the hands of a Swiss watchmaker, and from that pound of iron, they turn that iron into finely crafted balanced springs for, ex- for an expensive Swiss watch, its value would certainly be in the thousands of dollars. Here's the point. The value on, is, depends on whose hands craft the raw material. Do you realize we're raw material in the hands of the master? We're just raw material. But our value, just like that raw iron material, the value is determined in whose hands it is and what it is transformed to become. And this morning in Acts chapter 18, we see a marvelous example of God's transforming grace in the life of a, of a man by the name of Apollos. You listen as I read. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent, eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being, a, being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray one more time and ask God's blessing on His Word this morning. Father, we are just grateful for Your Holy Word. We're thankful that it is given to us without error. It is given to us as the very words of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we're going through the book of Acts, one of the things that we're doing is we're seeing how God has, is growing His church. Acts begins with uh, right Jesus right before He is resurrected, but chapter 1 is the resurrection of Je- or the ascension, rather, of Jesus. And so now He's commissioned His church to take this gospel 
uh, not only among Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, but also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to the ends of the earth. And now we see how the book of Acts, we see through the lives of people, God's church, we see how God has done that and is doing that still. This is a continued, even though Acts ends with chapter 28, God is still growing His church. We are still fulfilling the great commission of taking the gospel into all the world and telling people about the wonderful love of Christ and what Christ has done for us. And so here in this this place, we see Paul the apostle. He's coming kind of wrapping up a second uh, a trip, a tour, where he is taking the gospel into other areas, and he's been in Corinth. And the city of Corinth, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, where a lot of chapter 18, all of chapter 18 takes place. We have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Those are letters that Paul wrote uh, a year or so after. He wrote those letters back to the church that began established there. And so Corinth was a, was a tough place. I mean, it had a horrible reputation uh, for its immorality and its uh, uh, sexual uh, idolatry, and, and it was just a terrible, from the human standpoint, but, but you realize that God is not, there's no barriers for the gospel. We may say, oh, that gospel, we, we could never go into that person's life. We could never go into that city or that place. You know, I mean, this city or that place, I mean, you know, we might as well just move on. Aren't you glad God didn't have that attitude with us? Aren't you glad that, that, that God is not bound by any human barriers? In fact, the darker the sin, the brighter the light of Christ Jesus shines forth. And Corinth is a wonderful example of that, and we've seen that in chapter 18. But as we finish up chapter 18 this morning, I want us to examine a little more closely this individual we call, or or the Bible refers to as Apollos, okay? So as you open your Bibles, I want you to notice something. First of all, notice that Apollos had a persuasive faith. This is what Apollos had as we kind of break down uh, his, his life a little bit and look at that this man had a very persuasive faith And let's look at what he had. He had an enviable heritage. Verse 24 and 25, uh, verse 24, it says that he was a native of Alexandria. That is in Egypt. There was a tremendous uh, Jewish population in Alexandria. Alexandria was the second biggest city next to Rome at this time. It was considered the intellectual capital of the empire. If we uh, talk about Cambridge, Massachusetts, where you have Harvard, MIT, uh, we certainly think, well, that community is a very intellectual community. New Haven, Connecticut, where Yale is. Uh, We think of certain places that are recognized for their intellectual strength. Princeton, Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, Should I say Tallahassee? And uh, well, well, yeah, sure. But, um, But no, historically... Historically, uh, Gainesville, I need to throw them in there for equal time, all right? All right. Um, but historically, we, we, we identify certain cities in our history as, as places of great learning and, and intellect. And certainly, when we talk about a New York City or Chicago for its fine arts and all those things. Well, Alexandria was certainly a place of tremendous intellectual capital, and it was renowned for its learning. And so... Uh, Apollos was a man who had an enviable heritage. He was from Alexandria. But he also, the Bible says, 
He had an eloquent tongue. He was, he was someone, according to uh, verse 24, the Bible says that he was an eloquent man. He was a man of words. He was a tremendous speaker. He was someone uh, who could uh, speak well, which would make sense if he was uh, a man of means and of high education. He certainly was a man of eloquence. He had an eloquent tongue. He was also had an educated mind coming from Alexandria. Verse 24 says, the ESV says that he was competent in the Scriptures. The NIV, if you have an NIV, it says that he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. Verse 25, first part says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And so that would make sense that if he was from Alexandria, as I mentioned, Alexandria had a tremendous Jewish population. Alexandria is in Egypt, and it's a, uh, as I said, it's recognized as an as a intellectual capital, it's library. Remember, books and, and scrolls and those things weren't uh, very, you know, a lot of people didn't have those things. It's library. It's said to have over 700,000 books, which was extremely unusual for this time period. And so Alexandria had one of the largest synagogues that were ever built. In fact, it, the synagogue in Alexandria was so big, they had to have men at the front that I read one uh, historian talked about how they had to kind of wave these flags so that the people in the back could know when to say amen. That was how big the place was. And so this was the place that uh, that uh, Apollos uh, was raised. This is where he was from. But notice also in verse 25 that Apollos had an enthusiastic spirit, okay? Verse 25, it says that he was, that being fervent in spirit, that literally means that he was zealous. The Greek helps us a little more. It, it literally also can be translated, he was boiling over in enthusiasm or in his spirit. And as a teacher, as someone who is knowledgeable of the Word, like Apollos, I mean, he's somebody that he wasn't just learning to get more information. He was learning in order to give it out. You ever, those of you who have a love for the Word and God has gifted you in teaching and sharing the Word, maybe in a small group or in a small Bible study or, or an other setting or in a teaching, more formal setting, you know, when you learn something, you can't wait to tell somebody about it, Right? You just, you just can't wait. Well, this is the way this guy was. He was boiling over in spirit. He was speaking, and the Bible says also in verse 25, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So that's who Apollos was. He was, had a persuasive faith. He had a, a tremendous uh, natural ability. But there's something that I also want us to notice, that while he had a persuasive faith, he also had a partial faith. He had a partial faith. That's the second thing our media people will put on the screen in just a moment. He had a partial faith, all right? <laughs> Notice that little hint there. Uh, so not only we, we look at what, what Apollos had, but let's notice what the Bible says that Apollos was missing. Something was missing. Something was deficient. At the end of verse 25, it says that uh, even though he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus that he knew only the baptism of John. He only knew the baptism of John. What does that mean? It means that, that Apollos, as much as he uh, understood about Christ, 
And he wasn't, he wasn't a heretic. He wasn't teaching false doctrine, a false teaching, that he was accurate, but he was limited. It was partial in what he understood. That phrase, baptism of John, is referring back, obviously, to John the baptizer that we see uh, so prominent, uh, the cousin of Jesus who, who baptized Christ there in the Gospels. But John, and some people get a little, uh, a little surprised at this, John, the baptizer, really was somebody who belonged as the last, I'll say it this way, Old Testament prophet, because he was the last in that Old Testament prophet class that was pointing people to the Messiah that was to come, okay? So if Apollos, even though he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he was limited because all he knew or understand was kind of the theology of John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist had some really good theology. He was accurate. I mean, he understood that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He understood that uh, the Messiah, Jesus, was come to uh, offer the kingdom to the Jewish nation. Apollos would have known based upon the theology of John the baptizer, I say John the baptizer, the Baptist, uh, that he underwood, uh, understood the nature and character of Jesus as the God-man who had come, in, in the words of Genesis 3.15, to come and crush the head of the serpent. He was the one that was promised from David, promised to be the Messiah centuries earlier. He taught accurately, but he wasn't teaching completely concerning Christ. Apollos was missing a lot of things, uh, the significance of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he probably didn't have an understanding of the nature of the church that God was establishing and birthing, of the transition that God was doing between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. These are things that he, he lacked, the, primary, the primacy of grace in the gospel. So he had a persuasive faith, but it was a partial faith. Warren Wiersbe, the great Bible teacher who went with the Lord a few weeks back, makes this comment. He said, it wasn't that Apollos' message was inaccurate or insincere. It was just incomplete. It was just incomplete. So that's kind of where he's at. And remember, I, I said this earlier, that the book of Acts is a, is a history and it, does, it gives, does give us instruction with doctrine, but also the book of Acts unfolds this transition period in the life of, where, uh, of Christianity or the church. We've gone from a primarily Jewish church centered out of Jerusalem. Now, and from chapter 13 on, the primary uh, person that's more of the dominant character is the Apostle Paul, and he was called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to non-Jews, to Gentiles. Now, of course, when he went into a non-Jewish area, a Gentile area, one of the first places he always went was to a synagogue because just like here in Alexandria, there was a synagogue, a large one. And so it wasn't mean that he was ignoring his fellow Jewish brethren, but the church now was moving into the ends of the earth. And we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8 when he told them that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will receive power, and that power was meant for them to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. So the book of Acts is a bridge from the old covenant workings of God into the new covenant workings of, of where uh, the kingdom of God and the work of Christ is going. The key phrase I want you to look at is in verse 26. 
in verse 26. Notice verse 26. Notice it says that Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And then when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, let me just stop there. We didn't talk about Priscilla and Aquila, but they're introduced to us back in the beginning of chapter 18. And it was this husband and wife that Paul had met. They were fellow tent makers. That was their profession. If, they were, if Paul had gone to the synagogue, one of the traditions uh, in some of the synagogues was that people of like trade would sit together. So if you had some tent makers, they'd kind of sit together. If you had some people that worked with fine cloth or, or whatever, they would sit together. Uh, if you had some computer IT guys, they would sit together. Now, I don't know if they had any of those. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. But, but the, so maybe that's where Paul met them. Of course, if Paul is teaching them or, or whatever, he would have encountered them. But it's a husband and wife to him. Now, something interesting, we won't dwell on it and don't build a doctrine and start a denomination over this. It's just something to point out in your reading if you look at the beginning of uh, chapter uh, 18, or, or in chapter 18, you'll see that uh, there's, I believe, two places where Aquila, that's the husband, and then it says Aquila and Priscilla. But most of the time, you see when it's referred to, and here in our passage in verse, uh, what did I say, verse 26, what order do you notice? Priscilla and Aquila. You have the wife mentioned first before the man. Now, the reason I point that out is because most people acknowledge that in listing her first, that she and this husband and wife team more than likely was the lead teacher. That's just what, what it is. She was the more prominent of the couple. Okay, She's with her husband, but she is more of the lead teacher in this couple and I just point that out there. Now, again, don't, don't, you know, we're not building, but we're just pointing that out. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, God does use women to teach, okay? That's a little flash there in case some of you haven't gotten the memo there, right? Some of the greatest teachers that have benefited my life have been women who have taught the Bible, okay? And we'll save that for another day. But I just point that out to you so you'll see Priscilla and Aquila, and that is Luke acknowledging that she is, is probably taking the lead in this uh, instruction and arrangement. But here's what I want you to see. Notice what they did. And this made all the difference in Apollos' life. It says that uh, they, they heard him speaking. He was speaking boldly in the synagogue. But what did they do? Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Remember what we're talking about is as persuasive as Apollos is, he had a partial faith. There was areas in his life that he needed tweaking. He needed some, some things uh, filled in there. And this is, to me, uh, I don't want you to miss it. What a great example of disciple-making. What a great example of this couple uh, showing the ministry of discipleship. They took him aside. Notice they didn't embarrass him by standing up in the synagogue and saying, whoa, 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 hey, we know a little more than you do. Maybe we should come up there and have a little talk with this synagogue. Notice, they, they, what did they do? They took him aside after the service. Whenever he was speaking, they took him aside and showed him in a very kind, loving way 
the way more accurately. I just kind of imagine, kind of like you do, and I've even seen you do it this morning, so don't think I miss it. I see everything. Uh, you know, that, that you're sitting there and somebody will say something and you'll give a little glance, you'll give a little look, you know, whatever, and do those things. You know, and I, I imagine Priscilla and Aquila, they're sitting there and Apollos said something and they just kind of look at each other like, okay, you know, and they're may, maybe, I don't know if they're passing notes, but anyway, they're, they're, they, they at least are aware that Apollos didn't have the full picture of the wonderful gospel of Christ. He was accurate in what he knew. The NIV uh, gives us some insight. If you, again, have the NIV, you'll see this in verse 26. It says, they invited him, same verse, but the NIV translates it this way, uh, that Priscilla and Aquila invited him in their home, to their home, and explain to him the way of God more accurately. What is God doing here? You know what God is doing? He's taking the raw material of Apollos, and it's placed in the hands, yes, ultimately of God, but where does he, remember who Paul is. He's an eloquent, learned man. He's a man of of tremendous means and, and ability, a great speaker, and God places this transformational disciple-making in the hands of this tent-making couple, uh, blue-collar servants that God chooses to minister to this educated intellectual, probably, again, a man of, of means. He's taking, if we could think of Apollos this way, he's taking a, 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 a $5 iron rod, right? And uh, he is going to take this couple to be used by him to fashion and form it into and form Apollos into an unusual and powerful servant of God. That's what God is up to, but here's the deal. How is Apollos going to respond? How's he going to respond? Will he listen? Uh, Now, if you could have imagined who God would use, you might not have picked this couple. You might would have said, you know what, he, he's a, a wealthy elite guy from Alexandria. Uh, maybe we shouldn't use Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, they're great. I mean, she makes a wonderful fried chicken at home, right? She's great. Wonderful hospitality. But we need, you know, we need somebody that can kind of you know, go to, toe-to-toe with him intellectually. You know, they're, they're not pulling up kind of in that jalopy, you know, that Priscilla and Aquila have. And, and you know, he, he's kind of a big shot. And we better get somebody. How, what does God do? God's not concerned about that. We're, we're concerned about that, aren't we? We're, we're concerned about those, those surfacey things. God takes this couple, and perhaps, as I think, I think it's even a test and how uh, this Apollos is going to respond. And he uses this blue-collar couple to share the truth of the new covenant. You know, let's be honest. We might not have done it that way. We might not have done it that way. We could have been sitting around a meeting and said, you know, we, do, we need to do some follow-up with that Apollos. Right, right, right. And, uh, hey, why don't we send, you know, Priscilla and Aquila so they'd invite him over to their house. Oh, no. Man, that Aquila, he says some off-the-wall things. He spends way too much time on the internet listening to talk radio. I don't want him blowing this one, right? And now we have all these things, but instead of saying, wait a minute, God chose the perfect couple to reach Apollos at the perfect time, and God loves to choose what he would say in Scripture. In fact, Paul would write, God loves to choose the foolish things of the world to do what? 
to confound the wise. All right? You staying awake? Because if you don't, you know I preach longer, okay? I'm watching you. I'm seeing everything you're doing, all right? All right, so let's look. I mean, think about this. What's the difference between Priscilla and Aquila? Uh, they were an older couple. He, most people think he was a young man. Uh, they were married. Most people think he was single. Uh, they were probably were uneducated, certainly not at his level of being educated and an intellectual. They made and repaired tents for a living. He was wealthy and wealthy enough to travel throughout what would be called modern-day Europe. He was, uh, again, a completely opposite. And sometimes in churches, we've got this mindset that if we make sure we got the right demographic group meeting this right group and this right person, then we've got a great formula of how to build a church. You can go to seminars, and they'll tell you how to narrow your demographic and make sure that you know, you're doing this and you're doing that to reach this segment or this group or that, that population. But when you read the New Testament, you know what you find? You got everybody thrown in. And guess what they're doing? They have amazing unity because our unity isn't in our zip code. Our unity isn't in our bank account. Our unity isn't in the car we drive or where we went to school. Our unity is that all ground is level at the foot of the cross. We try to think that sometimes we're smarter than God is. And so would Apollos listen? And that brings us to the third observation. Apollos had a persuasive faith. He had a partial faith. But here in how he responds, we see a marvelous pattern for a growing faith. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 speaks about growing in our faith. Peter says... Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may what? Grow up into salvation. I've pastored a long time. And I think of how many Christians that I've known that were advanced in chronological age or let's even in their spiritual birthday, but they really have never moved beyond, can I say it this way, the baptism of John. They've never moved beyond the ABCs of Christianity. They've never grown and developed into being into the deeper areas of the Word of God. Uh, they're just kind of content, and they've never moved. They've never grown. Well, we would look at that as somebody, if, if, uh, if uh, uh, Tyler or I don't see Tim. Is Tim back there? My sorry, all right. Tim back there. Who? How old are you, Timothy? 20. 20. If you wanted to go into kids' church this morning we would have a little issue with that. Now, if you want to go to work, we'll sign you up, brother. That's no problem. But if you just said, you know, that's a little more on my level, you know, we, we, would, we would maybe need to have a little discussion with that. So, you know, that, that if we're going to grow, we need to get out of spiritual kindergarten, and we need to make sure that we're having a growing faith. That's what Peter tells us to do. In Second Peter, I don't have it on the, the screen, but in Second Peter 3.18, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and for the day of eternity. So Apollos is an example of a pattern of what occurs when spiritual growth happens. Spiritual growth occurs when, number one, when you are not so knowledgeable that you cannot learn more. Spiritual growth occurs when you're not so knowledgeable that you cannot learn more. None of us have arrived. None of us have learned everything there is to know. And we'll talk about the Scriptures, 
we always can be learning something new. We can always be growing in the Word of God. But if we just say, you know what, I know all that. I've heard all that. I went to a seminar 10 years ago. And you're unteachable, and you can't spiritually grow. There's another way that spiritual growth occurs. Secondly is when you are not so proud that you cannot admit you were wrong. I mean, think about Apollos. He's pulled aside by this couple, and they instruct him. And from the passage, he, he accepted their, I wouldn't even say correction. It was, just, it was just that they shared with him the faith more accurately so he would be even more effective as a strong teacher of the gospel. Well, I've heard all my life thus and thus. Well, maybe you, what you've heard all your life is wrong. Right? Well, you know, pastor so-and-so taught this when I was in grade school or whatever, and that's what I've always heard. Well, what you've always heard doesn't match with what Scripture teaches. So you can't grow if your pride is standing in the way and you can't admit that, you know, okay, maybe I need to make a change here. Thirdly, spiritual growth occurs when you are not so important that you can't listen to others. Can you see the eloquent, brilliant, highly respected Apollos sitting at the kitchen table of this dear couple, and as he was being instructed about the further truths of the new covenant, I just kind of imagine Paulus going, oh man, wow, that's good. That's good. I never thought of that. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Now, now I understand how this scripture and that scripture, how it fits together. Because you realize in Alexandria, one of the things that Alexandria was known for was it was the place in which the Hebrew scriptures were translated into the Greek. We call that the Septuagint. And that was very important because all of a sudden now it opened. Greek was the dominant culture, was the language of, of the day. And so now the Greek language, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek and people were reading the Old Testament in their language of Greek that would have never encountered the Old Testament scriptures and all of a sudden realized about this God that the Old Testament speaks of, and all of a sudden now, evangelistically and, and exponentially, the, the, this truth of the nature and character of God is going beyond just that limited group of Jews who can only read Hebrew. Now it's written and translated kind of in the living Bible of its day, and people are reading the Hebrew Scriptures, and we assume maybe that's what happened to Apollos. And I just imagine him sitting there and going, man, I can't believe I taught that. Oh, that's so, you know, that's so 70s now. That's so yesterday, you know. I mean, that's not, I, I thank you guys for, man, updating me. You know, I liken it to, uh, have you ever put in an address for somebody and their subdivision or address is new? And it's so new that the Google map or whatever map you have on your phone doesn't show it. I think you all had that in, in where you live. And it doesn't mean the, it's, it's, it's wrong. It just needs to be what? Updated. You know what Apollos needed? He just needed to be updated. Do you ever need to be updated with the things of God? I do. All the time. But notice, fourthly, spiritual growth occurs when you're not so cultured that you cannot change. Benjamin Desarelli, one of the prime ministers of England, said this. He said, talk to a, 
talk to a person about themselves and they'll likely listen for hours. Let me say it this way, backwards. Talk to a person about how they should change and they'll most likely listen for a few minutes. Because we don't like that. We push back against that. But I'm, I think it's so cool that Apollos didn't. Every indication is he allowed the iron in his soul to be refashioned and formed, twisted and turned into something that God wanted to take the raw material of this effective, persuasive man dealing with a partial faith. God wanted to take him and make him more effective for the advancement of the gospel. In fact, if you look at your Bibles, I don't think it's on the screen, but God's work was so wonderful in Apollos' life that at the beginning of chapter 19, verse 1, that when Paul left Corinth, who's basically leading the church there, and we see that it's Apollos. God did that. God was doing that. Now, here, here's how we can bring it home for, for ourselves, and here's, here's how we can kind of wrap it up this way and apply it to our lives. There's two applications that we want to take home. Number one, first observation is this, is that oftentimes the most powerful development in an individual's life is accomplished by ordinary people. These aren't going to be on the screen, so they may want to advance to the next one. Listen, I'll say it again. Oftentimes the most powerful development, the most powerful development in an individual's life is accomplished by ordinary people. History will write the history about Apollos. But the reason is, don't forget, a husband and wife, blue-collar, tent-making team, God used them to bring Apollos into a much fuller understanding of the truth about Christ. God used this uneducated, compared to Apollos, who made a living making tents. Ordinary people were used to make an unusual impact. Can you think about some ordinary people that God has used in your life? Maybe not the pastors and all the... But I, I, I just began to write some names down. Ted Panaleo, Willie Jimerson, John Faircloth, Fred Teagle, Homer Brockman, Bill Lamb, Don Scott, Don Arnold, Dennis Newell. They weren't professional ministry people. They were just faithful, loving people that added things into my life maybe deliberately, maybe just by their own life and character, ordinary people that made my life richer and fuller in Christ. God, I'll say it again, oftentimes the most powerful development in an individual's life is accomplished by ordinary people. And the reason I, I kind of push down on that is because a lot of you think, well, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything really to offer like so-and-so. Maybe I didn't go to college. Maybe I didn't go to high school. Uh, but you know what? If you've been walking with God and you love God and you're somebody that has a hunger and an insatiable appetite to know Him by His Word, my friend, uh, when I have a need or when I'm sick or when I need a little tweaking in my life, I want to call you a people that know how to touch and reach out after God. I don't need an intellectual treatise of facts and theories. I need somebody that's walking with God to impart in my life. Is that what you need? All right, three of you, good. All right, observation number two. Observation number two, listen to this. Oftentimes, the most power, powerful contribution to the cause of Christ, the most powerful contribution to the cause of Christ is accomplished 
behind the scenes. Isn't it wonderful that the Holy Spirit gave us some insight into this couple? Because Apollos, he's the upfront guy. But he wouldn't be the upfront guy being mightily used for God if this husband and wife did not have the courage and the compassion to reach out to him and say, you know, it would have been just easier for them to say, you know, you know, maybe we shouldn't say anything. Maybe Paul, when he's around and comes back, or maybe we should write the church of Jerusalem. They need to send one of their big shots up here, and, and they'll hammer down on Apollos and fix him and correct him. You know, who are we? We're just tent makers. We're not that blah, blah, blah. And we, you know, we use all sorts of excuses but I love, you know what made them competent is because they knew God, they were full of the Holy Spirit, and they were just willing to love this guy. I like, again, let me just emphasize what the NIV says. They took him to their home, just sat with him, and shared with him the way of God more accurately. In a loving, tender way, Apollos received it. And so all that was going on behind the scenes. What if they had not done that? What if they had just said, you know, I, that's, that's beyond my pay grade? Well, maybe Apollos would have remained kind of in this partial, quasi-truth of teaching. And then as Paul began in the letters of the apostle, there were the authoritative word of God that were being circulated that we have uh, in the New Testament as those teachings were going throughout the church. Really, Apollos would have been exposed in the sense that he would have been lacking in the understanding of the new covenant and the, the further revelation of Christ that God was, was exposing and giving to the church. Um, then he certainly would not. He would have remained kind of just a raw, worthless material, and his effectiveness would have been limited. Or worse, people could have rallied around him and he could have started some sect or some cult or some group, and he would have started off some fringe group because, he, because nobody took the time to lovingly update him in the faith. A lot of things could have happened, but what would not have happened is that we would have not seen Apollos as a strong defender and advocate of Christ. Let me ask you these questions. Are you teachable or are you just stubborn? Do you have a teachable spirit? I'll let you answer those at another time. Just give me the things to think about. Think about to the last time when something you heard challenged your thinking. Are you teachable or are you stubborn? When was the last time somebody pushed back on something that, quote-unquote, you always were taught something you thought you knew and all of a sudden you began to wrestle with scripture again don't ever take my word for it or anybody else's word grapple with scripture find out what the bible teaches not what a secondary and third opinion says what does scripture say let your authority be the word of god are you secondly are you clickish or open-hearted are you clickish or open-hearted? Maybe God wants to teach you something, but maybe the pe person or persons that have come to you to, to kind of give you a little update that are sharing some truth with you, maybe they're not in your zip code. Maybe they're somebody who uh, might be somebody who, you know, you kind of look down upon if you're honest. 
And so you just, you just kind of shut them off because, you know, they're not part of your little group. James warned us in the book of James. He warned about that kind of attitude. And last, are you willing to change when confronted by truth? Are you willing to change when confronted by truth or do you just quit? I've known people that when I met, met, meet them and talk with them and I'm around them, I just know... I just kind of know from their personality and temperament that if I ever had it to kind of share with them and, 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 and show them the way of God more accurately, I know that they would just leave because they just don't have that, that, that teachableness about them. I want to remain teachable. I want to remain teachable because the Holy Spirit operates and speaks through all sorts of different people in different ways. Some people just quit. They just go find another church. You can do that. Lots of churches. You'll go find somebody that'll just get your little group. And you know what? You get your little group and they'll just reinforce your partial understanding of God. And you just form your little group. We form no more. The frozen chosen. And you just have your little, you have your little group. Because you're, and, and sometimes people that like to form all these independent groups, not everybody, but you know why sometimes they form these little independent groups? Because they're not willing to be taught by anybody. They don't want to be a part of anybody's leadership in their life. And so they'll just get people that reinforce what they believe or what they think. And the work of transformation does not occur in their life. That's what God is about. He is involved in the work of transformation. I am not the raw, worthless material that God started out with. I'm continually, you know, and how God shapes that iron through a lot of heat and pressure. You know about the heat and pressure? Yeah? And sometimes when you feel the heat and pressure, you immediately think, well, it must be that teacher in that class. It must be that pastor. And he's the one putting that heat and pressure. No, you know who more than likely it is? It's the Holy Spirit trying to shape you and form you from the raw material into something that is usable in the kingdom of God. Apollos was persuasive, partial faith, but he's also a great example of a pattern somebody that grew from the raw material into being one that the Bible says look at the end of verse of uh, chapter 18 it says that verse 28 that Apollos powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the scriptures that the Christ the Messiah was Jesus he was already powerful and persuasive but now that he had the fuller truth and revelation of God's word by this blue-collar couple, he was even used in a greater and mighty way.